Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week's podcast comes live from my BFI MK3D show at the South Bank in London. And it was a guest-packed Christmas special with guests including Gweno Saunders, the brilliant musician, Emily Beecham, who won a Best Actress Award for her performance in Little Joe at the Cannes Film Festival, and starting off with the great Taron Egerton. Uh, good evening, everybody. Love it to see you all here. You know, I've never... Do you always clap when I come on? I've never noticed you doing that before. You know you literally don't have to, because it's like everyone else is polite, but you're here anyway, okay? So, um, <laughs> welcome to this. This, unbelievably, is the, the last show of the fourth year that we have been doing this uh, thing. So... Due to, a, due to a sort of weird mathematical anomaly, our 50th show is actually March, so we're going to have a big sort of 50th show uh, ding-dong. I have now officially outlasted Celine Dion in Las Vegas, and I would like... We've got loads of fabulous stuff for you. Because it's the Christmas show, we're going to be kind of sprinkling Christmassy stuff all the way through it. There will be a musical element, which you probably guessed... I kind of realised when I walked on that that's blown at least one of the gags. Um, but uh, we'll start as ever, since a lot happened since I last saw you. <laughs> we'll do a quick ask the audience. If anybody has anything they would like to ask, stick your hand up and we'll just leap straight in. I'm going to have to just do that in front of the lights. Anybody have anything that they want to raise or are we all just in shock? Yes. Hi. We, Hello. Um, we happy came, Christmas. Happy Christmas to you. Um, the, the, is there a remake from Spielberg about West Side Story? Anything it, to fill us in on that? Well, it is coming. I mean, I think it's all it's it's all done as far as far as, far as we understand. There've been certain changes to certain songs, but it is definitely. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the original West Side Story yeah, anyway, yeah. and. Uh, but who, I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I, it never occurred to me when I saw the, you know, the original, wow, that really needs updating. But, um, <laughs> you know, but hey, it, you know, it's Spielberg. I never thought that Wages of Fear needs updating and then, you know, Friedkin made Sorcerer. I always thought that Abu Souf was a bit pants and then Richard Gere made Breathless. So it's fabulous, you know, swings <laughs> and roundabouts. So I, I'm, are you looking forward to it? Yes, yeah, very oh. much. But it's, it's not, we haven't got it for a while and, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see. I, he hasn't finished it yet. Then again, last I looked, Tom Hooper hadn't finished Cats and it's premiering New York tonight. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, anyone else? Yes, at the back there, sir. Hi, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. 
I was just wondering, would you ever get Jane Hill to watch a horror movie and what would it be? <laughs> you know, weirdly enough, I did try to do... I mean, Jane is brilliant, but she's not a horror fan. And so the last DVD recommendation we did... I recommended Annabelle Comes Home on the basis that it's not very scary. I mean, it is technically a horror movie, but it's not very scary. I've actually, because she said to me, what can I watch that wouldn't be too scary, but will be good? And the thing I suggested, although I'm now kind of slightly regretting this, is I suggested Onibaba, the Japanese movie, right? Well, yeah, I know, but Onibaba is like a PG certificate. It's the scariest hell. It's like terrifying. And I said to her, oh, you'll be fine with that. And then I was thinking about it, thinking, actually, no, that's a really, really scary film. What would you suggest that's a horror film that's good but isn't scary? <laughs> and there we go, you see? And there's my dilemma. Okay, let's do one more. Yes, there. You're wearing a Christmas jumper. That's fantastic. Round of applause for the first Christmas jumper of the season. Hi, Mark. Hello. Not referring to anyone or anything in particular. I just want to know, are things going to be all right in the end? <laughs> I'm going to reiterate exactly what I said on Thursday... We did the radio show that we usually do on Friday. We did it on Thursday because when, the, when election day happens, you can only have non-political stuff on. So they moved the radio show that Simon and I do to Thursday because on Friday it was all, you know, fallout from the, from the, from the election. Still can't say it. From the election. And, uh, and somebody asked me exactly the same question. And I, this is what I said, and I promise you I hadn't planned this. This is what I said, but thinking about it, I think it was actually a perfectly good answer. At least it's the best answer I have. And it's this. It's The Exorcist. <laughs> and it's the scene when Karis is in the bar with Tom Birmingham after his mother has died. And he says, I need reassignment. I'm unfit. And Tom Birmingham says, and I met, obviously, both Jason Miller and Tom, and I went to the bar because I'm obsessive. And Tom Birmingham says, you know, but you're, you're the best we've got. And Kara says, am I? Really? He says, some of their problems, they come, they're more than psychiatry. They come down to faith, their vocation, the meaning of their lives, and I can't cut it anymore. And then he pauses, and then he goes, I think I've lost my faith. And I then said, and the whole of the rest of the movie is him regaining his faith through facing the most unbelievable evil. And right now, I am Karis in that bar. And I was able to do that on election day without breaking any BBC rules, so thank you very much, thank you. Okay, uh, we have a whole bunch of guests for you, and I want to get things started, this is very exciting. Um, Last month, uh, uh, Dexter Fletcher came on because we, I was talking about uh, Rocketman, which, as you all know, I love. I've just finished doing my sort of, you know, top ten of the year list. And, of course, Rocketman features uh, very heavily. Let me show you the trailer for Rocketman because I've been thinking about it a lot as the end of the, uh, end of the year comes around again. This is the trailer for the fabulous Rocketman. How much pressure I'm under? Not really. I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. Maybe I should have tried to be more ordinary. You were never ordinary.
boy you were. <laughs> Look at you now. So at the end of the interview, Dexter Fletcher said, you should get Taryn Edgerton on. So we did. Ladies and gentlemen, Taryn Edgerton. <laughs> Thank you. I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on the show. I'm going to be like a little, like this. So, absolutely love the film. Um, I suppose the, the, the most important thing is, at what point did you know that you, were, that you had been cast in that role? Because you, you embody it so brilliantly, and you do all your own singing, and it's something that, you know, it's, it starts with him in rehab, looking back at his life. So it's a crazy period. It's like a kind of Ken Russell extravaganza. At what point did you know that you were to play Elton? It was quite a gradual conversation that started in 2016. Um, Elton played a, a sort of cameo guest role in, in Matthew's uh, sequel to the Kingsman film. It's the longest cameo I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. The cameo it's more, goes yeah, all the way through the film. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, and uh, actually, I just want to say before we get into all this that the feeling is entirely mutual. And when this movie came out, your opinion was the one that I was waiting for. Oh. And it was, and, um, and I'm a great admirer of your. Uh, your considered nature and your lucidity and your thoughtfulness, and it was a great um, patronage for us. So thank you. I think you think of Mark Cousins. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Um, um, <clears throat> um, so yeah, Matthew first asked me about it then, and Dexter and I had made this movie called Eddie the Eagle that yeah. we'd had a really, really good time making and we're very proud of, and um, and it just felt very right and. I suppose in some respects as well, it felt like a kind of watershed moment for me as an actor because I've had some incredible opportunities in my 20s, but I was kind of yearning for something that I could expand into a little more. And, um, and this was that. It was such a great part on the page. Were you always an Elton fan? Yes. I'm saying Elton like I know him. Were you always yeah. an Elton John fan? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, I've always been a, 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 real, a real music fan and... Um, I remember, you know, he had a Greatest Hits album that came out in 2002, and that's when I really first got into him. And, and I actually sang your song for my... I, I went to RADA in London, and your song was one of my audition pieces. And that was wow. when I was about 17, 18, yeah. So he's been there a lot, yeah. And, um, What's your favourite Elton album? And incidentally, there is a correct answer to this, so tread very carefully. <laughs> it's Captain Fantastic yes! and the Brown Dirt Gang. Yes! Yeah. It's because there is a correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased. Well, it's the right answer, yeah, Mark. it is the right answer. Um, so you can all go home, we're fine. Um, okay, so, so, the, therefore, so what's the immediate challenge? Somebody says, okay, you're going to play this role, and it's, I mean, like you say, it's, it's the step up to the Mark role, because there's so much involved in it. What's the most challenging thing about it? What's the thing that makes you go, uh, I mean, I think he's so many things. He is so many things, you know. He's... He's, in, he's at one moment incredibly vulnerable and sort of boyish and childlike, and the next he can be this kind of titanic force of nature and be someone quite intimidating. And I wanted to do justice to that. Um, and I suppose the singing as well. The singing is the first thing that springs to mind because it's a musical, obviously, and so it's a prerequisite that I... Have sing. you always been a singer? Uh, yeah, bits. I mean, I was raised in Wales, so it's part of the culture. Um, and, um, and yeah, as I say, you know, I've always been a big music fan and I've always played music 
at every available moment. And at some point I started singing along, but I don't have any kind of formal training really other than you know basic singing lessons at drama school and stuff and it was always the case that the the, the lead role was going to sing the song because obviously we've seen uh, you know musicals in which that doesn't happen you segue into somebody else's but it's you that we hear and i have to say i mean i think it's important because i think that 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 continuation of voice from the speaking voice yeah. to the singing you couldn't have broken it well in you know in musicals uh, you know the, the songs are soliloquies you're expressing something that words have become too pedestrian for you know so for me the idea that i don't sing it would just be really weird you yeah. know it just it doesn't make sense to me and and where possible we sang live to give it that authenticity and immediacy so your song is all recorded live on set and um and i I bloody loved every minute of it. I really did. I want to show a clip of uh, Elton John's first, well, one of his first meetings with Bernie Taupin, because obviously their relationship, which is so central, is so central to Captain Fantastic, which is why I'm so glad you chose that. <laughs> and uh, so this is really, so tell us about who's playing Bernie Taupin. So um, Bernie Taupin is played by the wonderful Jamie Bell. And um, I remember very early on in the process, there were lots of names thrown around and, and, and it was just one day Dexter came up to me with this big grin on his face and, and said, we've nailed it. And I said, who is it? And he went, it's going to be Jamie Bell. And it's just like, thank God, because it is so central. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is the love. It's the central platonic love story of the movie. And, you know, Someone Saved My Life Tonight is my favourite song. And, and it's so about, it's Bernie writing, it's Elton performing with words that Bernie has written about Elton. And that, that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're two sides of one coin creatively, but Elton said, you know, that he's the brother I never had. I asked when I first asked him, you know, what was it like when you met Bernie? He said, I just had someone to go to the cinema with, you know? I just, <laughs> and I love how kind of gorgeously uh, low-key that is. Um, and that's the sort of... We wanted, we wanted the friendship to feel really honest and open, but also kind of... Um, Kind of emotionally articulate. We wanted to, you know, a platonic male friendship that isn't that. that uh, we didn't want them to be bros. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, we, but um, yeah, Jamie was the perfect scene partner. Okay, let's have a look. Bernie Taupin. Yeah, you must be Elton. Yeah, hi. Well, that's my stage name. Oh. Well, you, you can tell me your real name when we get to know each other better. Right. Uh, um. Have you ever? Uh, sorry. Sorry. No, no, please. See you. I like your lyrics. Thank you. Yeah, I, I got the tape that you sent. It's great. Really good. Thanks. Oh, hang on. Uh, hey, don't, don't bother with that one. That wasn't supposed to be in there. It's not no, no, that's really good. I wrote a tune to it. Yeah, I bought a song. Yeah. I read it and I could hear the whole tune in my head. It was all there. I could see all the notes and I just had to get it out. It's like my fingers couldn't work fast enough to keep up with my brain. <laughs> Do you ever get anything like that? Uh, uh, not really, no. <laughs> um, I can write more for you, though, Elton. I'll just send them down to you. Great. What I, what I love about that, see, and actually this kind of continues throughout the whole film, is that, that they mutually admire each other. There's this kind of slight distance, but yeah. they both, because they both do something that the other one can't, can't do. do. Yeah. And Elton John has said many times that when he's writing the songs, he gets the lyrics, and he either sits down and writes it, or it doesn't happen. When he writes it, so when there's that scene in which he starts playing your song, he said that literally is how oh, your song yeah. came about. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't waste time, and they don't write in the same room. He literally sends in the lyrics, actually sends in the lyrics, and 
Elton will go to the piano, and if it's not happening in sort of half an hour, 45 minutes, it's not happening at all. Did, it, did Elton take you under his wing? Were you, was there, because, you, you know, obviously you have to learn his manner. I mean, it's yeah. your performance, but... It's, it's, it's been really, it's been a very surreal, odd thing. It's sort of become normalised now, but, you know, he has just become a part of my life, and I'm so grateful to him, because I think it's less so, you know, for anyone who's seen the movie, it's not, a, it's not an impression, it's not what we wanted to, to do with it. It's very, it's very me, really. Um in the hope of it feeling very personal. Um, but what was important was that it all felt very personal. And so the way that he kind of allowed me into his life and, and this friendship we formed really fed that and gave it fuel, I think. You mentioned uh, before about, we were just talking quickly about critics, you saw the Mumsnet review of the... Of the this is the one, this is the one. That is the one, yeah. This is the, was, was it sort of slightly strangely, did it have a strange sort of... What it said was... Sexu- uh, like maybe a sexual... Yeah, it was yeah, a slightly yeah, sexual right, right, yeah, yeah. It was a review on Mumsnet, and I'm probably, I'm probably <laughs> slightly paraphrasing it, but it basically said, I, you know, I was feeling really down, and I went to see Rocket Man, and that scene in it, what she said was, if you're a horny old hound dog who's <laughs> looking for a thrill in the fanjo, then watch this movie on hard repeat. <laughs> and... Dexter said that you said it was the best review you'd it's ever had. my favourite review, yeah. Yeah, I'll take that, yeah. 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 I think I'm blushing. <laughs> but the great thing about the movie is that it, it is, you know, it is frank and it is, you know, it's, there are other movies that haven't been as frank. And we always knew that that was the film it was going to be because you can't do an anodyne version of the Elton John story. No, you can't. And I just don't know why you'd want to, you know. It's... it's it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. His technicolor kind of um, ups and downs. You know, why would you not want to depict that? Why would you not want to celebrate that? The movie isn't. It's not about deification. It's about celebrating a human being in all their gorgeous flaws. You know, and Elton's flaws are really well documented. So, so there's no point trying to hide from them. What about the costumes? Because we saw just in that, you know, you're wearing a, a period costume with mm. the, you know, the cool jacket and everything. And then the first time we see when you're sitting in, the, you're dressed as the, as the deep. I mean, the whole thing about Elton John is at one point he's dressed up as a duck. How was wearing the costumes? Yeah, amazing. Julian Day is, 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 an, is an extraordinary, extraordinary man of talent. And just uh, uh, there's a little tidbit about that I always sort of pull out about the costumes to show his attention to detail. So in the second half of that scene, they discover a shared love for country music um, and they start singing uh, Marty, Marty Robbins, I think it is, and, um, and they're talking about cowboys. <clears throat> and later on in the movie, their kind of final, or their penultimate scene together, Elton really nearly ruins the friendship by being, you know, he's in the depths of kind of addiction and, and behaving terribly. And he re- really nearly pushes Bernie away, but... So it's kind of like, and, and the camera wraps around in that scene to mimic how we find them in the cafe um, as a two shot. It wraps around. And so they're kind of in the, in the same iteration. And, uh, and, and Julian dressed as both as cowboys. Um, Jamie in that scene towards the end has a, has a bootlace tie and, uh, and kind of these, these big black boots. And I'm dressed as a cowboy too. I have this, um, I have this straw hat. Uh, and it's a blue two-piece suit with a silver shirt and red slippers. And that's the song that Goodbye Yellow Brick Road comes out of. And the blue of the satin of the suit is for Dorothy's dress, um, obviously ruby red slippers. The straw hat is for uh, the scarecrow. The silver of the shirt is supposed to represent the tin man. 
And then as I leave to chase him, I put on a fur coat for the, for the, for the lion. Um, and it's just a gorgeous thing, you know, it's a gorgeous Easter egg, oh, excuse me, a gorgeous uh, Easter egg and um, testament to Julian's attention to detail. The film was directed by Dexter Fletcher, who of course did work with Ken Ross and worked with Derek Jarman beforehand. What's Dexter like to be directed by? I know you'd work with him beforehand, but I mean, I think, I think the job he did on it was, was astonishing. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, Dexter is one of my best friends um, and, you know, working with him is, is you know he's he's my you know if there's, you know he's i don't know he's i can't i can't struggle to put into words really the relationship we have it's sort of almost like family and 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 i feel like i'm at my best around him i feel like he creates an atmosphere of um fun that's not to make that's not to make it sound light you know the the movie deals with some dark things and yeah. some days are quite intense but he creates an atmosphere of lightness and joy where every member of the the crew feels valued and part of the team and it just creates an atmosphere that you look forward to going to work in um we have shared taste i think um uh and i don't know i just feel like we complement each other well creatively i love love working with him and i i really hope it won't be uh, the last time that we we have another creative adventure. I think one of the most remarkable things about him is, is that he's this. I mean, the attention to detail in Rocket Man is extraordinary. But in person, he seems to be the most shambolic. Character I know. I know. He looks like Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> I, I know. It's a great. Uh, I know, and he can't take any um, compliments or praise. No, not at all. He, he can't deal with no, it. No. Um, uh, he's far more interested in making sure everyone else around him feels validated uh, and worthwhile. He's he's a he's a truly great man. And what about the other members? I mean, it's a fantastic cast. You've got people like Stephen Graham in there. Who would, I mean, Stephen yeah. Graham has, I, to take nothing away from you, has what I think is the best line in the movie, which is after he's heard, I think it's your song, and he goes, <laughs> oh, "I'm going to have a massage." That's it, yeah. <laughs> it's truly disgusting. <laughs> it um, yeah, he's. You know, we were we were spoiled with the people who came and played. But that, I mean, to have an ensemble cast that's that's that complete. I mean, there isn't a there isn't a bum note in that entire cast. You must have felt okay. This is. Of course, you know, the, I've, but in all aspects, in all departments, you know, Marcus Rowland's design, Julian Day, Lizzie George, you doing hair and makeup, you know, it's just an, a stellar team. And then, as you say, you get this great cast and particularly, you know, being supported by sort of Jamie Bell and Richard Madden as the two other probably, you know, chief roles. Um, yeah, you just, I don't know, it, it makes you as the central performer feel very supported, I suppose, to add to, so you can find the freedom to do what you want to do. Did you have to wear a denture? Because Elton's got a famous gap between his teeth and you haven't, have you? No, Dexter and I had a real um, thing about this early on because Dexter was absolutely adamant that we not wear fake teeth because he felt that it was uh, an inhibition and, um, and there's something inherently kind of false about it and I do agree but I felt that the teeth were really important because it's it's iconic it's sort of part of his silhouette and it made me feel made me feel different and that's really exciting as an actor where you feel a bit different um, and uh, what we ended up doing it was my idea actually we just painted it in <laughs> yes, yeah, old school. And then uh, I think oh, know, I imagine that industrial light and magic had worked <laughs> on your. <laughs> well, I think the equivalent. I'd some, yeah, I think there was probably a bit of jiggery pokery done afterwards. But the basic thing was just a little gap painted in. Wow. Yeah. So look, I have to ask you because we're in. I know this is a, we're in awards season now. So how important is it that the film is recognised uh, at awards season? Well, look, you know, if I said not at all, I'd be lying because, you know, we're, we're, we've been campaigning, trying to remind people because we came out so early. Look, you know, it's been 
regardless, it has been the the professional um, experience of my life. I've loved it, and nothing's going to change that. It did well at the box office, it and, and it re- and it was received well by people like yourself and Mumsnet. and, and Mumsnet. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's really important now, and I'm saying this to myself constantly, just to check myself and go. It doesn't actually matter. But you'd be amazed to have from within the industry, it starts to really feel like it does. Um, but look, you know, we've had a, we've had a couple of nominations at the Globes and the SAG Awards, so I mean, it's already it already we already feel validated in that sense. It just would be the cherry on top of the cake, but it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Say, I, I, this sounds ridiculous, but I had this whole thing that all awards are basically evil and terrible and wicked <laughs> until I won a Sony, and then it became really, really important. <laughs> And then the next year I didn't, and then I became really kind of embittered by them about it again. So I understand that thing about it's not important, but it is. Yeah. Can you tell us what you're doing? Because you said that you would like to work with Dexter again in the future. Yeah. What are you working on now? Is that... I'm not really. I've, uh, it's been a really great thing for me, Rocketman, and has provided me with lots of other opportunities. But I feel really strongly that I, you know, I don't want to make any more wrong turns with the roles that I pick. And I want a career that's characterised by interesting choices. Do you so, think, and I'm not, no names, no pack drills, mm. do you think that there are things that you've done in the past that have been wrong terms? Look, I mean, I spoke about this recently in the press to, uh, about something that I'd done, and afterwards I felt really rotten with myself because it's not just about me, it's about the other people who worked on it as well. So I'm not going to speak negatively about things I've sure. done anymore. I don't think it's cool, and I really regret doing it. But yes, there are one or two things that I think were ill-advised, but also, you know, I'm a young person, and you know, you just, there's lots of factors in the equation, and, um, and I feel like now at 30, I kind of am a little bit more clear about what I want, and... Um, so you now have the, the ability to step back and say, I'll do the projects that I want to work a on. Little, be- no, obviously, no, no, I mean, you know, I've got a mortgage to pay and all that, but, <laughs> I, but, um, but uh, I, I'm more certain of what I want, really. But, you know, those great character roles aren't really finding their way to the big screen in the same way that they have in the past, you know. Um, I'm just waiting for one to come along that feels like something that I can be truly excited about. Not, I don't want to... I don't want to do something because I've convinced myself I'm excited about it. I, that would be wrong, and I don't need to right at this minute, so I'm not going to. Okay. Last thing, what's your favourite movie of all time? <sighs> I'm not really in the. I'm not really in the business of favourites. It depends where I am and who I'm with. Off the top of your head. <laughs> I'm not taking no for an answer, so we can be like, I've got all night. Do you know what movie I really love? Go on. The Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> Well, you know, i got to tell you, if you stick around for the rest of the show, you're not going to be disappointed. Because <laughs> it's the show before Christmas, and Muppet Christmas Carol is definitely coming up again. <laughs> Tarrant, listen, uh, I'm so glad you came on the show. Thank, Thank you, you so Mark. much. I, I love Rocket Man, and I, I can't tell you how relieved I was to love it. But I've now seen it three times, and every time I see it, I see more in it. And I think that the, the real genius of it is that the more you scratch the surface, it's like what you were saying about the costume, when you start thinking all that stuff through. And it could have gone so spectacularly wrong, and I think it went so spectacularly right, and I think an awful lot of that is down to your brilliant performance. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and Thank congratulations you. on the Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. In the words of uh, Vinnie Jones, it's been emotional. 
Okay, so we would usually start with a with a news thing. We didn't because I wanted to get sort of straight into that. So we'll just cut, catch up on a couple of things in our section, which we call "Here's the Thing." Um, as you know, there is a new Star Wars movie coming out, which I haven't seen yet. I'm seeing it in the next couple of days. The only reason I flagged this up is because um, there's been quite a lot of stuff in the press about saying, oh, it's fantastic, you know, because J.J. Abrams has come back and therefore he's going to rectify everything after everything that happened with the, the Ryan Johnson. I want to be really clear about this. I think The Last Jedi is absolutely brilliant. And in fact, it's one of my favorite Star Wars movies. And I would be perfectly happy if the series... I mean, you know that a whole bunch of fans had, uh, you know, felt very, very differently about it. And in fact, weirdly enough, when Ryan Johnson uh, made Knives Out, there were still people who were sore about Star Wars having a go at him. I think that that's a great movie. And I hope that the new Star Wars film lives up to it. Bear in mind, we're coming to the end of a cycle. The first cycle of films, the weakest one was the third one. It's, you know, Muppets in Space. The first cycle of films, the third one was kind of maybe the best one, but then it came after Phantom Menace and all that rubbish. So this is going to be really interesting to see whether they can finish the third cycle on the top. Also, since I last saw you, and this is uh, kind of fairly recent, we, uh, we lost Danny Aiello. And uh, I was just writing recently about the films of Spike Lee, and I'd gone back to watch uh, Do the Right Thing because it was back in cinemas. I think the BFI had, um, had done a, a reissue of it. And so because we just lost Naniello, I thought we'd just show this classic scene from, uh, from Do the Right Thing, which is a film which has aged absolutely brilliantly. So here we go. You're looking for trouble? Are you a troublemaker? Is that what you are? You making trouble? Yeah, I'm a troublemaker. I'm making trouble. You're a real ball breaker. Who's coming in here looking for trouble, huh? Suppose I busted your head, how would you? Uh, Mookie. Mookie, you want to get your friend out of here? What, are you going to kick me out now? Are you, you going to kick me out, huh? No, I'm not kicking you out. You're kicking yourself out. What? Look, we got some brothers up on the wall, you Let's know? Go. Malcolm X, Nelson Mandela, you know, you're Michael Jordan. Tomorrow. Come on, Mookie, get him out, all right? I'm trying to get him out. I'm paying for life. I know you paid for it. Let's go. Yeah, all right. All right. So you're kicking me out. Beat me in the head. You're going to kick me out, right? Come on, let's yeah, go. okay. Bet. Yeah, all right. Let's yeah, go. look, I paid for my. Look, boycott style. Let's go. Right? Yo, boycott style. I got Yo, your boycott swing. Boycott style. Yo, man, I paid. What you laughing at? Look, I paid for my slice, man. Yo, man. It does still look great. If you saw it when it during the re-release, I mean, it was it was amazing. If you haven't seen it on the big screen, do try and get a chance because it really is fantastic. Now, uh, on to coming attractions. I want to show you a clip from a movie that's coming out here in February. It played at the Cannes Film Festival where it was a prize winner and uh, got fantastic uh, reviews, not least for its brilliant central performance by uh, Emily Beecham. This is a clip from Little Joe, which is a film which is quite hard to describe. It's essentially Day of the Triffids meets Mike Lee but that doesn't describe it. Here's a clip. Alice, you have a minute. I just wanted to say that I feel really proud and excited to be working with you. Oh, um. <clears throat> Don't expect too much. <laughs> no, I'm convinced that this plan is going to be a huge success. If you say so. Would you, how about um, a drink after work? Oh, um, uh, no, I have to run. Could you finish the logbook and double check the timing of the grow lamps? That'd be so nice of you. Sure. 
Melissa. Gives me a great pleasure to say welcome to the stage, Emily Beecham. Thank you so much. Emily, thank you so much. Lovely to have you on the show. Thank um, you. So I saw the film at uh, Strasbourg when I was, uh, I was on the jury, and it, was, it was, went down really, really well. But it is a very hard film to describe. Yes. Do you want to have a better go than Mike Lee <laughs> meets uh, Day of the Triffids? I think that was really good. Oh, good. I've, thank you. I've never heard it described like that before. Oh, I made it up. It's very good. <laughs> you want me to describe it? Well, just, I mean, otherwise, I can do a version of the story, but would you, how, would you, how would you characterize it? Oh, gosh, it, it is... Well, I was just sitting there and I was thinking how Rocket Man and Little Joe are the most polar opposite films <laughs> ever. Um, it's, it's like... Well, Jessica's films... Jessica Hausner is an Austrian director and she directed films like Lords and, and um, they're very got this really specific personality to them. They've got a black humour and they're very subtle in the acting style, but they're also very... It's like <laughs> the film is, got, is deliberately artificial in many moments and even with Jessica's directing... I mean, I'm not answering your question, am no, I? I'm just not being specific. No, but no, no. It's impossible. It's been the hardest film to talk about ever, actually doing the Q&As and the... Oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I, I, we'll just, it's just... Um, talking about this film in the Q&As has been so such a challenge. Let, let me try and it's do... really hard. I'll try and do a version just of, kind of, of the setup. Yeah. So essentially, it is a story in which scientists have created a plant that is meant to make its carer happy. Yes. It is a plant that is meant to be... So there's a kind of opiometers thing mm. going on in the background. Would you like the synopsis, then? I'll give you the synopsis. No, no, sorry. I was just suggesting just to kind of, <laughs> to sort of say that. But that's just the setup of yeah. the film. And it then becomes a meditation on something sort of much more, more uh, complex than that. And you said, of course, um, Jessica Hausner, who I think I'm right in saying that she, she describes the film as having a British sensibility. Also, it is a BFI-backed movie. Mm -hmm. Well done, BFI. So... Thanks. Science fiction or psychological thriller or what? Well, Jessica kind of blurs all these subjects together. She's so clever. And so she's got... It's kind of quite... Well, the characters in this constant becomes extremely paranoid. And she's created, as you said, this plant with a smell that makes the sniffer happy. And, and they did a lot of research with um, psychologists and neurologists and... Uh, plant scientists and um and did their research uh but um so they tried to work out if it actually could be real but it, it apparently can't but um it couldn't happen but um but then again i thought that the election could never happen so you want to worry you know <laughs> yeah um and um anyway so so this plant has mutated and they used uh, an un unlicensed uh, virus vector, which is a, a tool that you use to genetically engineer things. And, um, and it mutates in order to survive and emits that scent. And then so it's kind of influenced by invasion of the body snatchers, uh, Jessica's influence was. And so people change. And then in that, my character Alice goes down this rabbit hole, uh, this kind of labyrinth of confusion and paranoia and insecurity and self-consciousness and then she snaps back 
into realising that's all rubbish and quite embarrassed that she lost it a bit, and then back again. So, um, and Jessica's really cleverly blended the idea of the topic of... Uh, my character has a teenage son as well who is changing, naturally, and her role starts to reverse with him, so she becomes a needy child, kind of insecure, and all her boundaries, everything starts to slip from her and she becomes insecure and also in her workplace as well. She's very senior in her workplace and her work is the only place that she can control. So she loses that also and, uh, yeah, loses her. And one of the things I loved about it is all those things you're describing about, mm. about her character is actually what happens to the audience because mm -hmm. I found myself for a good part of the film thinking... I actually don't know whether this is happening. Yeah. I don't know whether this is... Because I was, mm -hmm. you know, not knowing much about... I mean, I was completely... Actually, I think you can you can read the whole film as if nothing is happening yeah. other than what appears to be happening in their mind. Yeah. It's very deliberately pitched like that. Yeah, yeah. Jessica says she, she does that and she likes people to think it's going to be a, ho a thriller or horror and then she deliberately likes to annoy them and then turn it around so it's not... And she does this thing, which you probably noticed, where she says, usually when the tension builds in a scene, the camera gets closer and closer to the actors' faces and you, you experience with them. But she says she deliberately liked to miss the moment, so she pans during the scene, she just pans past us really slowly <laughs> towards the, the curtain. And Carrie, that's the scene with Kerry Fox and I, and we're like, we have no idea what this film is going to be, but whatever it is, it's going to be really interesting. What was it like, what was it like when it played in Cannes? Because obviously it was very well received. It was. It was great. That was the first time I'd seen it on the massive screen. Was it in the in the palace? Yeah. yeah. Fine. And I think it was it was the type of film that a can audience would respond to, and they like those interesting films. And so it was great actually because it's such a visual film. It's very really acid colours and an amazing soundtrack. Oh, the soundtrack is. Bonkers. Yes. But a lot of the soundtrack turns up in the... It's, it's music that's been written for the films of Maya Darren. Yes. Kind of, yes, yeah. Which is, and it's quite astonishing to hear it because it's <laughs> yeah. so weird and jarring. Yeah. And then the, the drum beats go with the eye contact when, when, it, when, a, when a thought drops. It goes boom. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's quite comical. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about Cannes. I mean, I'm, uh, Cannes for me is a bit of a kind of frightening circus. So what was it like being in the middle of all it that? It really is. It was my first experience. And I think, I think throughout my life I've just deliberately kind of ignored, um, <laughs> admittedly, um, uh, award things and ceremonies. So, so, you know, it's about, the, it's about the work and all that. And I kind of slightly regretted that because I really didn't know what was happening and what was going to happen and it's so intense it's so glamorous but then also you know it's got amazing filmmakers and amazing films so that's all that and then I think winning it I woke up in my house after a lion after a really long week at Cannes and I'd already gone back to UK. Well, you weren't there. No, I wasn't you there. You were Best Actress Account and you weren't there. No, I was, but I woke oh up and I turned on my phone at 10 a.m. and my phone was just buzzing with this rep with the word can, can, can. And, and then I called the producer and he's like, Emily, where are you? You have to get to the nearest airport and realise I had to get to Gatwick. And I just caught the last flight that I would have been able to ca catch, otherwise I wouldn't have gotten there. And so we got on that flight and then... And then, um, and then they drove me, they picked me up in a car, which also had a, a motorbike, so that if, and it drove at the most phenomenal speed. I think this guy was a professional, hit, like a professional bodyguard driver. He was driving on the wrong side of the road. Me and the producer were like, oh my God, 
which just go, and then the um, and then the motorbike was there to block off traffic. <laughs> I think it was really illegal. So, <laughs> so um, this is great. It was amazing. And then if I was in traffic, I was supposed to hop on the motorbike, you know. And um, did that happen? No, it oh. didn't. I know. Um, and then I just got there on time, and then the publicist. I was in the auditorium I was sitting there and the publicist said so you are winning so just just be prepared and I was like oh my god trying to remember all of the producers names and then I realized I never would do that and so I just I muttered something about not even packing my toothbrush which was pitiful and it was true and um, and it was all a massive blur and then so from get so from waking up and getting that message to yeah. actually being on stage receiving mm -hmm. the award was how long Oh my God, I don't know. I think it was... Six hours or...? Yeah, and it was so intense. And you had no idea. I had no idea. And I had Mads Mikkelsen and Inuritu and Yorgos Lanthimos and uh, all coming up to me and then people go, how'd you feel, how'd you feel, how'd you feel, how'd you feel? I was like, shocked. <laughs> was, I think I was in a bit of shock. Because I was, was a bit dizzy. Was, was there a terrifying what do I wear moment? I mean, if somebody suddenly says you've got to go, or was that all sorted already? Uh, well, uh, my agent asked... Chanel, if they would dress me, and, and the UK were like, oh, sorry, we, can, we can't help, and then, and then, and then Jessica Housen asked the Austrians, and they said yes. Chanel dressed me tonight. The Austrian well. Chanel dressed me. <laughs> and so I, I want to show another uh, clip from Little Joe. I really, really, I think it's a great movie. Mm. Um, this is a clip with you and your son in which he is sort of meeting the plant for the first time. We'll show this, we'll talk about this afterwards. Okay. Look what I have for you. Oh. Is that allowed? I mean, no one has to know. Do you like it? Yeah. It's really hot in here. Yes, it needs to be warm. This is a very special breed. You have to take good care of it. Keep it warm. Talk to it. Really? It's a living being. It needs attention and affection. What's so special about it? It makes you happy. What do you say we call him Little Joe? Hi, Little Joe. Hi. Little Joe. Welcome. <laughs> I, I just love the fact that the whole tone of the film is kind of... It's like it's one inch away from bursting into shrieking, but, it's, but it never quite does. It's, mm. such a, it's such a strange experience watching it. Yeah, Jessica was very... She knew exactly what she wanted the whole way through. But a funny little, funny little fact, uh, coincidence, is that um, Kit Connor, who plays my son there, he plays the young Elton in Rocketman. Oh, wow! Yeah, so he was gracing both of the red carpets at Cannes. He was like, oh, just come off the Rocketman carpet. He's <laughs> like 14. He's, he's the chill, most chilled. So are you on the awards circuit now? I mean, is it... Because the film opens here in February, so mm -hmm. it, it must be eligible for BAFTAs, because it's up until... No. Okay, fine. So you're not in the middle <laughs of all that sort of, of that, that whirlwind nonsense. I'm not sure. 
I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, you just you try it with a can. That's fine. That's I all know. anyone needs. I know. Well, um, I, Hopefully, I, I'll get a warning. But I, listen, I, I I genuinely think it's brilliant. I think that okay. that, that uh, but I I guarantee you that critics are going to have a really hard time writing mm. about it. Not least because, as I think we're sort of demonstrating, it, it, you can't sum it up in a sentence. And also, what you don't want to do is give too much of it away. Yeah. What was the best review you read of it in Cannes? You know what? Admittedly, I didn't. I don't want to disappoint you, but I didn't actually read any. Of oh, do you stay away from reviews? Um, not always. I think this film was tricky for me watching it the first time because Jessica's really wanted it um, very artificial at times. That's like the opposite is what you what you're told all the time. You encourage to be open and natural, and she wanted um, me to speak almost artificially at some points. So I found it quite strange to watch. Uh, I think it's obvious it's deliberately stylized, but um, no, I didn't. I read, I, I, no, I, I, no, I haven't read any reviews, I'm sorry. Okay, but so do you generally stay away from them, or...? Not really. If someone said, oh, this is a really nice review, I'll read it. If, okay. it's, <laughs> if it's a terrible review. Okay, so review. they get kind of filtered beforehand. Mm, maybe, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, I haven't had that much experience, really. I mean, I've only... This is my second lead in a feature film, so um, not had, you know, millions of reviews to read. You have a, a key role in uh, in Hail Caesar. Yes, I do. Tell us about working. <laughs> well, well, tell us about what that was like, because I love that film and I love that scene. Oh yeah, it was such a fun scene to shoot. To think uh, it was such a relatable scene, just being behind the scenes, behind yeah, shooting something of a set. Um, it was really fun. Was a, they've got a really familial atmosphere on their sets because they use the same actors again and again and again. So it's really relaxed, and they're just like, oh yeah, try this. So it was very playful atmosphere, and um, and. Obviously, Alden and um, Rafe are so natural. You don't really have to act. You just look at them and they're just brilliant. Should we have a quick look yeah. at you not really acting in that case? <laughs> yeah. Marilyn, we dance. 27 Apple, take two. Action. Oh, Monty. Come join me on the divan. Seems Allegra is a no-show, which is simply a bore. But I'll partner you and Bridge. Why the pout? Would that? It were so simple. Cut. Very good. Very good. Um. I mean, was it fun to because that it scene? Was really fun. Because that's the th it's uh, you know that is the scene that everyone remembers from Hail yeah. Caesar. Yeah, it's really fun. I'd like to do a whole film of that scene, I think. <laughs> playing actors who are really struggling and really bad as well, and also playing kind of. I think my character was supposed to intimidate him a bit, so she was not really having any of it and kind of a bit pissed off later on. Anyway, but um. So that was really enjoyable. The thing I love is the, is the word divan. Divan, I know. What is a divan? 
a divan is, it, is, is a what? fabulous it's a, sofa, it's a sofa chaise lounge. Yeah. But it's the way you say, come, sit with me on the divan. <laughs> and every time I hear that, I've never heard, that's not a word I'm familiar with. <laughs> yeah, well. And with the, Co the Coens, the story is that they finish each other's sentences. Is that actually true? Um, uh, well, I don't think so. I mean, they, they, they both um, had different approaches. So one was kind of having a laugh and suggesting the funny things. And the other one was, I think he was looking at other things, really. Um, but it was very relaxed. I think it was really obvious how we would play that scene, because we're three actors, and we're playing actors. And it wasn't like, it wasn't the hardest but that's up, no, but that's often the most difficult thing to do. Doing playing bad acting is really <laughs> hard to do, isn't it? I mean, unless you are a bad actor. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's quite probably quite cathartic, quite a release. My, my friend does a lot of comedy, and he says how he does it is he always thinks, I've and he's really funny, and he thinks I'm just going to do what it would be to act it really badly, and that's how he does it. And he's hilarious. So. <laughs> So I, I looked at your sort of upcoming slate of stuff, and you, yeah. you're busy for the next four years. What, what have you got coming up? I have, um, I have a Netflix film called Outside the Wire, which is with Anthony Mackie and Damson Idris, who are both amazing. And um, it's, uh, it's set in the future, and it's about AIs fighting war and uh, inspired a bit by the pro... Ukrainian insurgency and pro-Russia insurgency, so it's, 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 it's quite interesting. And then um, Cruella, which is a Disney film, which is really fun. What are you doing that? I play a lovely lady called Catherine, and I'm not, I really should ask them what I'm allowed to say, because people keep asking me, and that's all I've got to say. <laughs> Almost nothing, probably, Almost but carry nothing. on, it's fine. You know. Nothing. Um, but it's really visual and bright, just like Hail Caesar, the costumes are incredible, and very, very Vivian Westwood-inspired thing they are, and, um, and then, oh yeah, and then a film that's based on the true life of a man called David Tate, who, it's not very cheery, but he, he, was, um, he was abused as a child, and it's an amazing story, and he opened up, for the first time, it's actually on YouTube, actually, he opened up about his childhood abuse, sexual abuse, when he was um, on stage at an NSPCC event. And it's about his really difficult journey, and it's, it's, it's really moving. So I, and, it, and I'm doing it with Mark Stanley, who's an up-and-coming actor who's just so phenomenal, and I really hope that it gets the exposure, because Mark would totally be nominated for I mean, he's amazing. He's, yeah, such a brilliant performance by him, anyway. So basically, that's it. You're, the next few years are completely planned. Well, out. I don't know what I'm doing next year. It's just uh, the same as um, Taron, just reading things. And I think um, people say you're as defined by what you don't do as what you do do. Mm. And, and it's important to make that choice and choose something that you. So I'm you know, waiting for the right thing. What's the best thing you've turned down? <laughs> the best thing I've turned down? I don't know. I can't say that, can I? Yeah, you can. Of course you can. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, well, uh, I don't know. I probably I shouldn't probably say that because <laughs> someone else has played the role. <laughs> I know that's kind of half the fun. <laughs> anyway, look, I think Little Joe is terrific. I really, really hope that it gets the attention that it deserves. As I said, I'm even even now I'm getting in a cold sweat about having to write the review of it. Not not because I don't want to, but because it is it is so. 
complex to write mm. about, except I think the thing we could it's brilliant, it's really well directed, you are terrific in it, mm. and it has a wonderful soundtrack. And I do think it's a movie that will really get under people's skin mm. in lots of very, very Yeah, there was a bit ways. of anger sometimes at Cannes. There were some really um, challenging questions, actually. It was kind of frightening. Okay, but Cannes is crazy. Yeah. I mean, Cannes is the place that people get. They brought up some real political topics, which we really did, weren't expecting. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, well done for not going down the Lars von Trier route in that, in that case. <laughs> I know. Uh, so it comes out in February, and we look forward to all the other things, including finding out what it is that you're actually doing in Cruella. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the Thank show. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Emily Beecham. Thank you. Thank you so Bye. much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now, as you may know, one of my favorite films of the year, well, my favorite film of the year, as it turns out, is, uh, is Bait. And uh, Mark Jenkins was on the show a while ago. And last uh, month, we announced... And I believe we announced this exclusively. I hear that Mark announced it on the same evening, but five minutes after us, that there is going to be a screening of Bait here with a live score, um, which is going to be provided by Gweno Saunders. And Gweno is an absolutely brilliant musician who I had first seen um, at the Boardmasters Festival in uh, Cornwall. And you can hear some of her music on the soundtrack anyway. But essentially, when, when Mark was saying he was going to redo this, he said, I'm going to get in Gweno to do a new soundtrack, to do it live. So I am thrilled that on this Christmas show, a musical element will be introduced to the show through the fabulous Gweno Saunders. Please welcome her to the stage. <laughs> Tell us about how you have done or how you're going to do the live score for Bait. Well... Um, Mark's original score was done using a small Korg Volker, which I suggested to him actually. All right. So we were having he was a ripping you off from a long basically long no, but it, um, so we were having this sort of conversation about synths, and then um, so I'm I'm kind of along similar lines. Um, it's a it's a really because obviously I was a bit overwhelmed when I got asked to do it because it's a lot of work. But um, the soundtrack is minimal, 
which I love for that reason. Yeah. Um, so it'll be along similar lines, but um, what's, good, what's been fun is doing the sort of the music that's on in the pub, so having to look through old records yeah, yeah. and um, sort of find different songs for that. <laughs> and I've written two or three songs. Um, also with me performing will be Georgia Ellery, who plays Katie in the film. She's studying jazz at Guildhall, and she's in a good few bands, and she plays amazing violin. So, so it'll be a bit sort of droney, yeah, sort of ambient, violin, scratchy, electronic. Just It sounds brilliant. And it's here at the, at the BFI yeah. that's happening. Yeah. And the date is? The 17th of January. Fantastic. I honestly I cannot recommend this highly enough I imagine many of you have seen Bait which is as I said as far as I'm concerned the best film of 2019 and I'm a huge fan of it and I'm a huge fan of your music as well I think the combination of those two things together is really exciting um have you known Mark for a long time how did you and he first meet well I was um I made um a Cornish language album called Le Corve which means the place of memory because yeah. I'm a first lang first language Cornish speaker and um, I grew up speaking Cornish in Cardiff I'm not Cornish <laughs> by birth um, did and anyone understand you speaking Cornish in Cardiff well my dad did because oh, right. he's Cornish <laughs> so we spoke Cornish at home as well it's a very similar Brythonic language your dad's a poet yeah so my dad's a Cornish poet um, and so I was looking for people to work with visually and I found Mark's work through um, a production company called Golden Tree mm -hmm. um, and it was um, a project called Arvor, which means um, coast. And then I saw uh, dear Marianne, and he sent me Bronco's house. Which is great. Which was amazing. So aesthetically, um, I felt that we were sort of on similar pages, really. And it was just really exciting to find something so Cornish and so forward-looking um, and outward-looking and progressive as well, um, creatively. And that didn't work out. So, and then this is—it's been quite nice in a way because um, we didn't get to collaborate on my album. But I'm now doing another version of the soundtrack live. So, do you think something special is happening in Cornwall at the moment? Well, I was excited by it because I think um, linguistically things are happening. There's not a huge amount of Cornish speakers, for example, but. I definitely, as an artist, reached a point where I felt very excited about writing a Cornish record um, because I felt that there would be somebody to hear it. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a Pandora's box of culture, Cornwall, which is not as well known. And I think that's what's made Bait so exciting as well, really, is that it's expressed... Um, a community in a place so directly that that doesn't get a platform very often um, and it's yeah I mean even from from a language point of view I think it's it's interesting to hear the Cornish dialect and things like that so it's not a familiar thing to people you talked about Mark's filmmaking in um, connection to the artwork of Peter Lanyon you've mm. talked about him in painted Do you want to say something about that yeah well I was really inspired by Peter Lanyon when I was um, writing my album um, who's this painter from St Ives and again Peter Lanyon's very abstract um, work um landscape work is again it's the, like the most cornish thing i'd seen mm -hmm. but yet again it didn't fit into perhaps um 
more um, nostalgic um, feelings of what Cornwall's about. Yeah. Um, and it's very direct, again, and I think there is a directness um, in Cornish art, which really excites me. Um, and and turns out my, um, my dad's um, poetry books are published by um, Clive Bootle in London, and all of the covers had Peter Lanyon paintings on them, right. and I hadn't even realised. So it's like there's a lot of these small connections that happened, and I wrote a song about Peter Lanyon then called Tir Hamor, which means land and sea, because he, to get a better view of the landscape, he took up gliding, um, and unfortunately had a gliding accident and passed away not long after that. So. Have you always loved language? Is that always been a driving force? I was, ra I was raised by linguists. <laughs> I, um, you know, because I was, I was in um, an English pop band, for, you know, for a long time, I was in the Puppets, so, and that couldn't be further away, really. What did you do in the Puppets? I was one of the singers, and um, so, yeah, it's, it's all languages, but I think the older that you get, I think, and particularly... As an artist, you sort of dig deeper and deeper, and you're looking for stuff that you know really, really well. And you know, I made a, I made a Welsh album, a Welsh language album, yeah. and then I How made. Many languages do you speak? Just three. It's, oh, just you know, three. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's pretty common. It's like three languages across Europe, and yeah. yeah so I, it's, I speak one. Yeah. And, and and I failed my French O level three times. And I finally got it on the fourth attempt because they wouldn't let me into college without a French O level. And the only reason I got it was because the vicar's wife was French and she tutored me and she taught me the phrase un chute de neige, which means a fall of snow, and it turned up in the right down what you see. And that's how I got my French O level. But that thing, but I mean, yes, it is common across Europe, but it isn't that no. common in Britain. I mean, and we it, have, you know, we have. We have our older languages, and we also have our newer languages. There are 500 languages spoken in London, for example, community languages. Yeah. There's 100 in Cardiff. So it's, a, it's quite a common thing, and I think the more you... I mean, I particularly through music, I, I love music that I don't necessarily understand the lyrics mm -hmm. to. I think it, it creates space to escape, um, sort of psychologically. Um, and I, from, a, from my personal point of view, having Cornish is fantastic because... There hasn't been a huge amount of original music over the, pa over the past century. Yeah, yeah. Brenda Woodson is massive, you know, part of that. But, you know, there's not a huge amount. So it gives me a lot of space as an artist to write stuff. And I think it creates an intimacy as well because it's my first language. Am so. I right in thinking that when Taryn Edgerton walked into the green room, you and he started speaking Welsh to I each know, other? I know, I do. It was Welsh. It's amazing. Yeah, so he's a fluent Welsh speaker. And it's so funny because when you meet people that haven't lived in Wales for a while. I said, oh, so you, are you speaking Welsh? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm not very confident. You know, I just I haven't been speaking Welsh for a very long time. He said this all in fluent Welsh, by the way. So it's just, you know. <laughs> but the thing that I was told, because uh, Linda, my wife, is here, her family is from Wales, and the thing that I was told was that because they've taught the younger generation to speak Welsh, that there is now this thing that kids can speak Welsh, but their parents can't. So kids can have conversations with each other around the parents, <laughs> but not only can the parents not understand, but the parents are annoyed because they know they should understand understand it but they don't so it's become the kind of the language yeah, of, the, of, of subversion of yeah which is definitely great. yeah because there are more and more welsh schools and stuff opening up but and do you think the cornish language will i mean it's amazing that it's here still you At know all. it hasn't had a huge amount of funding or support really um but who i i hope so why not i mean it's it's just it's a brilliant language and i think that Every language has its history, the people that have spoken it, and obviously until 
17th century, people in Cornwall didn't speak English. So, you know, it's, it's definitely, it reveals something about the history of Britain, you know, that perhaps is worth remembering and engaging with. So, yeah. It's, you don't speak Manx, do you? I don't, I don't speak any of the Kodaic languages, unfortunately. My family's from the Isle of Man, but none oh, of them. Yeah, no, yeah, oh, but, cool. but but none of them's because they're the last natural Manx-speaking person. Is that on the on the up as well? Yeah. Very slowly. Yeah. I think they're up to three now. No, no, <laughs> no, not at all. No, they're doing really well. Yeah. Four. <laughs> it's a very Five. small. It's yeah. a very small island. Listen, so the so the live music for Bait is here on the seventeenth. Yeah. And uh, tickets will be available from the BFI box office. Do come along. I'm definitely coming along. It's going to be a really great evening. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming along and playing that beautiful song on the piano. And I can't wait to see what you do with the live score for Bait. Ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Bueno. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. If you want to hear proper Christmas music, we put together a top, well, we started out doing a top 10, and then Nick, who, as I said, has been building his part up, said, let's do a top 12 of music from uh, Christmas movies, or Christmas music from movies. So we've got this listomania, and uh, it's, you know, it's about sort of 10 minutes of music, but we all like the music. So here we go. Here is the listomania, in no particular order, except for the one that's at number one, uh, of a rundown of the 12 pieces of Christmas music from the movies that Nick and I decided would work the last time we looked. Okay, so, at, have I got the list here? I have, yes. Oh, yeah, all right, at number 12, this is a bit of an oddity. This is from an animation from 1964, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, stop-motion animation. This is very cute, you probably won't have seen this. Well, folks, as for the rest of the story, he went down in his story. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. We wanted to mix it up a little bit and not just have all the stuff that everyone would expect. Nick and I made a program uh, for BBC4, uh, Secrets of Cinema. We did a Secrets of Cinema Christmas special, which incidentally they're repeating on, on the 23rd, a week today. And the, one of the first things we said was we have to have Tangerine in there because Tangerine is a film that people don't automatically think of as a Christmas film, but it all takes place over Christmas Eve. Here is a musical interlude from the fabulous Tangerine. Entire film shot on a mobile phone. At number 10, something which needs no introduction at all. If you have tears, prepare to shed them. Number nine, again, needs no introduction at all. The neighbors might think, say, what's in this I wish I knew how to break the spell. That is, that is one of Nick's favorite Christmas films, which is why we kind of include it. Um, at uh, number eight, this is interesting. Put this in because it's not a film that I love, although other people do, but it is a brilliant piece of music. This is Run, Rudolph, Run from Home, uh, from Home Alone. Out of all the rings, you know you're the mastermind. Run, run, Rudolph. Run, I'll make you far behind. 
Okay, now for the next one, it's a film that actually we put in the um, uh, Secrets of Cinema Christmas special, and it turned out that many people hadn't seen it, which is a surprise, because I thought it was kind of uh, pretty popular. It's by Casey Lemons, who recently made Harriet, which is a terrific film currently playing in cinemas. This is from Black Nativity, and I think it's great. That is a film that doesn't get the love it deserves, and if you, need, if you haven't seen it, do go and check it out. Now, for the next one, Taron Egerton said his favourite film probably of all time, Muppet Christmas Carol. I'm going to play you a song from Muppet Christmas Carol that isn't in all the versions. We're not going to play the whole thing. You know what it is? Oh, well, there we go. In that case, let's just go. I'm so pleased. This is that, you see, that is the mark of a class audience. What are we going to play? That's the bunny. Thank you very much. There was a time when I was you and I were truly one That our future was forever And would never come undone And we came so close to being close Can you believe the studio made them cut that out of some of the versions of the film, which is really shocking? Trivia question, what's the other song that they recorded that isn't in the film that's actually the best song in the film? Room in Your Heart. See, none of you heard of it, right? Room in Your Heart is on the soundtrack album. It's actually the best song from Muppet Christmas Carol, and it's not in Muppet Christmas Carol. On to number five. This is from uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. What's this? The monsters are all missing, and the nightmares can't be found. And in their place, there seems to be good feeling all around. Instead of screams, I swear I can hear music in the air. The smell of cakes and pies are absolutely Pop quiz trivia question. What's the movie in which Bing Crosby sings White Christmas? Holiday Inn and here's both of them. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Okay, into the top three and it's tear-jerk-tastic. At number three, it's brief, but it's lovely. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. And a boy clown. Oh, Mary. <laughs> you like me to lasso the moon for you, Mary? It's uncanny, isn't it? It's like he's in the room. Into the top two, we argued about this. I lost at two. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Christmas is all around. And finally, there really was no choice. At number one, the greatest Christmas song possible. And I'd just like to say that when you look at the tiny little girl to whom this song is sung, I've met her and she's great. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year all our troubles will be out of sight. 
Judy Garland singing to Margaret O'Brien. So look, we're at the end of the show, and um, we said if we had time, we would end with a, with a communal song, because I thought it'd be nice if we all sang something together. Unfortunately, there wasn't anybody up for playing anything other than me. <laughs> so firstly, I'd like to thank Nick for all the brilliant work with the stills. Uh, Hedda for producing the show and Eddie for being a constant support all the way through. And our guests tonight, Taryn Edgerton, Emily Beecham, and Gweno. So I'm going to ask you this, right? If I go over there, and believe me, my piano playing is really not great. If I play a song, a Christmas song, and we put the words up on the screen, will you join in? Should we do that again a little bit more enthusiastically? <laughs> if I play a song and the words are on the screen, will you join in? Yes. Okay. Look, if Gweno could do this, I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. So we step over to my instrument. Key of F, all right, for everybody? That's still on. All right. Is it there? Now, you all know this song. It was immortalised by Elvis Presley. <clears throat> I'll have a blue Christmas without you I'll feel so blue just thinking all about you. Well, there we go. That was the Christmas MK3D show recorded live at the BFI South Bank in London. If you like the sound of that show and you'd like to come along, just go to the BFI website for tickets. Thanks for listening. Remember to tell your friends. And if you want a version of this podcast without adverts and access to some exclusive video extras, then why not check out our Patreon page? Tell your friends. Keep watching the skies. Snowflakes start falling. That's when. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.